Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. Welcome to Mindspace. Uh, my name is Jeff Boucher, and I'm here with my partner in crime, my producer, Evan Kopp. How are you, Evan? Good, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing very well. And we have a good show today. We got, uh, we got a man of many talents with us today, right? We have James Monroe Iglehart. Yes. Yes, he's done many, many things. You know, he got his start on Broadway with um, Putnam Spelling Bee. I don't know the entire name. It's a very long name. <laughs> 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, I think is the correct name. I think and, you're right. Uh, you know, that was like one of his first. And then he, he was in Hamilton. Uh-huh. Um, and then he got a Tony for Aladdin playing uh, the genie, right? Yes. And you you know, think so, about that for a second. You're following in the footsteps of Robin Williams and Will Smith. So that's, <laughs> that's the, no intimidation there. But, no, uh, no, and, not at all. And James is a renaissance man. He's, uh, uh, he's a voice that will be known to Marvel fans that tune into their podcast, This Week in Marvel. And he's also... A uh, familiar name to anybody that has seen some of the comics he's written. He's written a few for Marvel, but uh, he's not, he didn't grow up a Marvel guy, but we'll let him explain that. Uh, definitely, a pretty definitely. Good, he's a pretty good uh, addition to our ongoing gallery of great guests here as, uh, as Mindspace chugs along. And it's funny, you know, when we started this, uh, I knew we were going to talk to a lot of people that did comics, and I knew that we would talk to people that did sci-fi or fantasy on TV and film, but I wasn't prepared for our early group of guests to include two Tony winners. Uh, yes. I, you know, uh, and uh, uh, so that's a surprise. It's our second Tony winner. Yeah, our first was Dan Fogler. He won a Tony for, coincidentally, 25th Annual Putnam Spelling Bee, which James yeah. is also a part of. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's the place to go if you want to get talent. That place, uh, that show is a, is a hotbed for, for, for comic book talent. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, and we've had a, a group of musicians that join us too. You know, we've had, um, you know, Suzanne Vega and we had uh, Wayne Coyne from Flaming Lips and Braun from Mastodon. I mean, so we got a, a nice uh, eclectic sampling of, of talented people. So mm -hmm. uh, let's jump into it with James. Do you want to, or do we have some headlines first? Yes. Yeah. So just a couple things to talk about. Sure. First being, you know, we've talked about the boys a lot this will probably be the last time we can talk about it for a little bit. This Friday is the eighth episode, which as long as they're doing what they did last season, it'll probably be the last episode of the season. Um, have you been tuning in? Seen every one of them so far. And uh, I continue, I continue to be amazed and horrified, which is exactly the reaction you want when you're watching that. <laughs> that last episode was very horrifying. I, that, that last scene was just insane. Yeah. There's so many things wrong with that. You know, yeah, just, yes. there's a long list of things that are just plain wrong but uh nobody's so good at being so wrong as uh, as the boys are right now and uh watching that series while keeping up with the the awards performance by Watchmen uh and Damon Lindelof you know I mean the, that's been you know 
rightfully getting a lot of honors and seems uh reached a, a threshold where it's gone well beyond comic book fans obviously and and it's a it's a great time to see really dark unnerving and uh potentially subversive or scandalous comic book adaptations <laughs> that take it well beyond what anybody expected from comic books uh when the medium was a young medium yeah exactly you get the action and then the reaction now with these these spin-off shows that are happening too including you know amazon best show that they've ever done is the boys mm -hmm. um and so now they're fast tracking a spin-off series involving the g-men which is a take on the x-men um from the comic series but it's kind of like a loose interpretation and you know eric kripke i think is his name the yep. developer of the show is just mm -hmm. running with that idea for a college of soups and i think that'll be a great place for a spin-off series to take place yeah for sure um yeah, G-Men is clearly like um, a satire based on you know X-Men, uh, as you as you mentioned, and uh, they're going to fill out that mythology with this new show. And um, I mean, this is amazing. Like, um, how many shows or films you have based on the idea of extraordinary children in in education systems or in the process of getting educated? Something that I've always wanted to see would be like a public school version of Hogwarts, or like. You know, like, because like Hogwarts is like all like beautiful and everything's, you know, well taken care of. But I'd love to see like the inner city public school version of Hogwarts. I think that'd be a funny oh, show. That would be a funny show. You know, uh, you get away from that sort of boarding school mentality. Mm -hmm. Like taking yeah. a taking a public school bus to magic bus to school instead of a, a nice train, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that <laughs> would be good. That would be good. So I guess I guess you had those superhero movies like Zoom and uh, Sky High. Yeah, I was gonna say Sky High. Yeah, um, which uh, kind of take a lighter tone. Mm -hmm, definitely, but yeah, I think this this that's just such a great area for you know satire. I think is the, exactly the X Men and then you know superheroes out of school together. So and it might be interesting if you know if they start building on like a a universe, a boys universe. You know, if we start seeing oh, yeah. more and more spinoffs happening, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see why not. It's uh, it's definitely fertile ground, and people seem to be responding to it well. As you say, like Amazon has had tremendous success with boys, the boys. I, I I can't say that I would have predicted it, you know. But uh, I think the performances have been really, really good, and the story is really strong. And and I think I told you before. I think it's got the best music of any show on television these days. Uh, going back to season one with all the Clash and the great punk stuff. Oh yeah, very rebellious tone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Anthony Starr, too, as Homelander. He's terrifying and very entertaining. Yeah, yeah. It's a, he's doing a really nuanced job with that, that role because uh, he's, you know, he's part Captain America and he's part you know, Superman. And, you know, but he's also, he's kind of like Nuke from Daredevil, you know, one of these like super soldiers gone wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the wiring's not quite right. And uh, he would have made a great Nazi. You know, I <laughs> yeah. mean, uh, definitely. And then they're getting into the Nazis, you know, obviously with that yeah. show. And, and it's, it's been a big few years for Nazis in, in comic book based entertainment, which is kind of a weird thing to say. But I mean, you know, with uh, or, or sci-fi and fancy on television, you know, Man in the High Castle, you know, Hunters uh, is uh, definitely got Nazis left to right. I guess it's tried and true is always you can always go back to the Nazis. 
I was about to say Nazis are like the best villain in a movie because most people don't feel bad for them whatsoever, you know? Yeah, and, and also because it's a choice because it's not the same as being German, you know, yeah. uh, you know, because the first victims of the Nazis were Germans. Mm -hmm. uh, it was always important to remember uh, Nazism is a choice. You're not necessarily just born into it, although they, uh, they seem to get a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but uh, it, yeah, it's interesting because it's all a lot of that's based on Jack Kirby's version of Nazis. Like when you watch Hunters on Amazon, um, that's very much the Nazis that uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee were incorporating into Nick Fury and, and, and to Captain America comics in the 60s. You know, it's, it's a Valentine to those comics. In fact, that's why the comics are referenced so much in that show. Yeah. One other piece of news that we might find interesting is Alan Moore is screenwriting a movie. It's called The Show, and mm -hmm. it's directed by this guy named Mitch Jenkins. It's set in a mythologized version of Moore's hometown of North Northampton. It's a woozy, stylistic, supernatural odyssey. So that's the way they've described it on Empire. But, you know, we, we have two books by Alan Moore in our essential shelf. And so I thought it was kind of cool to see him moving to the big screen. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. He's a he's a real um, he's a fascinating guy, Alan Moore, and he, he, he's he changed comic books forever with the stuff that he did in the '80s, and with things like Swamp Thing, his run on Swamp Thing, and of course Watchmen, and, you know, V for Vendetta, and uh, I mean the list just goes on and on. Uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which was a great comic book and not a good film. Um, <laughs> you know, he's he's a very gifted writer. He's done a lot to change the dynamics of the way comics are written and the way they're read. I don't know about his movie skills. We'll find out. He's a mercurial figure too. You know, I've, I've interviewed him a few times and he's often described as a recluse. He's not really a recluse because I mean, you can reach him with, you know, he's not shut off from the world really, but he is uh, definitely larger than life personality. And he has, <laughs> he's very strident in his view of what it means to be an artist and what it means to uh, have your art taken to a, large audience and all the things that go in between <laughs> yeah so i'll just well, leave it at that but it would be interesting I, I, he's got a fantastic imagination i you know i think you know what we should do evan is sometime we should just cold call alan moore i have his number maybe we should just do a show where we just dial up alan moore uh and see what happens see what he says yeah that'd be awesome yeah. i think that'd be a lot of fun I did that one afternoon uh years and years ago um before this was back in like 2005 or I think thereabouts. It was before Watchmen came out, uh, the film, uh, the, which I think was 2006. And uh, I just called up Alan Moore to get his reaction to the, uh, you know, the ramping project. And he said, I shall spit venom on it. <laughs> I shall spit venom on it. He uh, notably does not like most of his movie interpretations. Well, that's, that's the first takeaway is one, Alan Moore does not like this adaptation, he doesn't like it at all. And the second thing is, wait, he has venom? Like, I, I don't have venom. Do you have venom? No, I don't think so. At least I haven't discovered that yet. Yeah, he might, it's might, still might show up. He also wears talons. That was the other thing that uh, was the big takeaway for me from the interview. On his hands or his feet? On his, on his fingers, tips, he had, um, and I noticed because uh, as a follow-up, we had a photograph taken of him because the interview went so well. I said, well, let's get a photo and we'll, and for the photo he posed and he had these sort of needle-like curved talons that were on thimble-like appliques that fit on his fingertips so he could 
kind of claw people if if it, if it came to that. So he's like Wolverine's brother. He's like Wolverine's brother. Uh, and uh, so I would have been very nervous if I was that photographer. But yeah, uh, definitely. Don't don't anyway. take a bad picture of him. Let's let's call up Alan Moore one of these days. I think that should just be that would be fun. It might be good theater. Definitely, definitely. Well, speaking of theater, <laughs> speaking of theater, we have James ready. Um, before we go, you know, I just want to say definitely check out that trailer for the show. It has a surprise surprise actor in it named Alan Moore, so you get to see some of his acting skills too. But uh, that being said, oh, wow. uh, I'm ready for the interview. If you are, that sounds great. Hey, James. What's happening? How are you? Doing pretty good, thank you. So, so James, here's Jeff. Uh, I just wanted to intro you guys. You know, Jeff has been in the industry for over three decades, and so have you. So it's just kind of cool to see that, you know, two huge giants of the industry meeting for the first time. You get to see it here. Well, wow, you give me the best intro in the world. Uh, when people say giants, they do not think Broadway. Uh, but thank you very much. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well, man. Thank you. Yeah, and we love Broadway. We were just talking about our favorite Broadway shows that we've seen. And I, I want to ask you a question off the top. When I saw Family Opera in London years ago, there was a lady in front of me. She seemed like a nice woman, but I, yeah. you know, uh, maybe not. Uh, she had <laughs> a bag of apples. And when that show started, she was <sighs> like, I was like, did you look for the most obnoxious food stuff that you could possibly bring to a Broadway show or to a stage performance? <laughs> You, have you ever had that? Have you ever looked out or heard someone crunching on an apple from the front um, row? Not an apple, but uh, my favorite one, we were doing uh, Memphis. Uh -huh. And we were doing the second act, and then we looked over, and there was a family in the like stage left side. Family sits down, a father, three daughters, and a mother at the end. And during a really, really intense scene, the dad goes under his chair and picks out a bag and it's McDonald's and he doesn't stop looking at the stage, but just starts passing off cheeseburgers to his children. <laughs> and while they crumple up the paper and begin to eat, he's eating fries, watching the scene. Like we're a movie, like, you know, when you get really intense in a movie, start eating popcorn, sure. that's what he did. We were like, and we look over like, is he eating McDonald's right now? <laughs> First of all, you're like, this is the first show of the day. It's a two show day. Don't break out. We, now we're hungry and we can smell right. it. <laughs> It was so, it was just one of those great moments where you're like, this is really happening. He really did pull out McDonald's. Okay. That's fantastic. So, and of course, uh, you've done so many, so many things on the stage, but people will know you for Aladdin, winning a Tony for that. And yeah. of course, Hamilton, like that must be very exciting just to be part of that amazing phenomenon. It is. And the fun thing about um, Hamilton was mm -hmm. that uh, I was there in the beginning. So I've known, you know, Lynn and I and Chris Jackson, all those guys, we knew each other back when we were all broke That's and great. didn't have anything. And Lynn was working on In the Heights, you know, In the Heights had finally hit and he came to us and he was like, yo, I read this book on vacation and we're going to turn Alexander <laughs> Hamilton into a mixtape. It never was supposed to be a musical. It was supposed to be this mixtape thing. And uh, he said, okay, we're going to do, uh, Lincoln Center asked us to do, ask me to do, you know, an American songbook of In the Heights. And I said, well, can I do something different? And they were like, yeah. And he called all of us. It was me, Mandy Gonzalez, Chris Jackson, wow. Utkarsh, John Rua, um, Karen Olivo, all these people who are like like big time now in you know, Broadway. And uh, I played Mulligan. I was the original Mulligan. So we we had a ball. But then that same night, Casey Nicola was there and he was like, uh, I think Disney's about to green light Aladdin. We have to do a 30 minute presentation for Bob Iger. So we're going to do that. And so we went and did that. And when that happened, I called the boys. I said, look, I'm up. I'm a break on this Hamilton thing. And 
check out yeah. this Aladdin, see where it takes me. Never wow. in a million years expecting to get back with the hand. Wow, full circle like, coming back. You got a mulligan, which yeah. is in golf. That way you got a mulligan. You got to. <laughs> yes, which I, I know very a little Lafayette trivia from Trivial Pursuit. I have the questions from Trivial Pursuit memorized, the original, just from my childhood. And he was one. Smart. <laughs> uh, he and Churchill are the only two people to get an honorary citizenship in the United States during their lifetime, the only two foreigners. That I did not know, but I I did know that when uh, Lafayette came over, I think he was he was young like Hamilton was. Hamilton yeah. was I think like seventeen, and they changed it for the oh. show with his age. But Lafayette was mad young too, and it was it took Benjamin Franklin to walk over to him and go, "No, we need this guy. Yeah. This is the guy we need." So fix that's it. awesome. And so they, today they, I they, learned for, uh, that he his nickname. You'll like this. This is a very comic book nickname, the Hero of Two Worlds. Like that's his official nickname. I had heard that because another, uh, you know, folks, what with so sure. many fans come to Hamilton yeah, bet. with trivia, waiting, waiting for you to know, and you're like, I'm an <laughs> yeah. actor, I have no idea what happened. <laughs> but it's it's so cool when you know when they when they give you that. Yeah. So that, I, that I, one that's I such a great name. You know, it sounds like it should be like you know Adam Warlock's nickname or yeah. something like. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, thank you for bringing up Adam Warlock. Please let that happen. <laughs> oh yeah, thanks. That that's happen. gonna happen. You know what I really want to see happen in the MCU is Korvac. I want to see Korvac, and I know, you, you know, from Avengers, but he basically is like the, one of the most powerful beings in the history of the Marvel Universe, and he kills the Avengers. He destroys them, like, in this epic fight. Wait, yes. Okay, yes, yes, yes. I was trying to figure out, I was like, why do I know that? And yes, you're right, you're right. Fight. Yes, he yes. kills them one by one, and at the end, spoiler, sorry, uh, he looks to his, his woman, his companion, uh, his partner, and she has this flicker of doubt. And he just says, screw it. And clearly written by somebody during a midlife crisis, I think. Uh, and so and he said, and yeah. he brings the Avengers back to life and kills himself and gives up. And like, it's like, wow, you know, but it's just seeing like, there's the cover of Don Blake, who's, uh, you know, Thor, but not anymore. Nobody cares about that anymore. And he's like banging yeah. on the chest of all the dead Avengers. It's like, uh, as a child, it was very haunting for <laughs> me. But I think uh, yeah. that would be great. I'd love to see Brad Pitt, that character. He looks like him. The great thing is, I think they're at least from the way the rumors sound, they're about to, thanks to yeah. WandaVision and um, Strange, Doctor Strange, they're about to bring in the multi universe, which is going to open up the door for the floodgates for them to do whatever they want, which is the smartest thing in the world. They bought Fox. If they make a multiverse, then every every everything is on the Absolutely. table. And I was like, okay, absolutely. I think you're. And of course, on, with the Marvel podcast work that you do and, and uh, all the, the stuff that you know, that we appreciate any tidbits that you have. Uh, that's uh, it's fun. The funny thing is, you know, I, I, I work for This Week in Marvel, but the yeah. funny thing is, they yeah. don't tell us anything. We get it. We get it when they when they send us the stuff they want us to, you know, talk about on the show. And um, my boy Ryan, give a shout out to Ryan, uh, Agent M, and of course, you know, give a shout out to all the, all the folks who work on the show. They uh, we, we we don't find out about it until, until the until most nervous people in the there. world are people yeah. that work for Marvel or work, work with Marvel. Like they they walk around like they have little <laughs> sniper sights on their foreheads. Like they like they're so nervous about saying their own thing <laughs> uh, after watching Tom Holland and and it everybody. Is, it's you know? true. Yeah. It's crazy. So for yeah. you, like, um, were you growing up, you exclusively a Marvel guy or did you like DC as well? I actually grew up um, as as DC, to be honest. Before uh, This Week in Marvel, before I met Ryan, Agent M, and Lorraine, and, you know, Persia, our producer, and Zachary, and all those people, I, 
as a kid growing up, yeah. I was DC, and be and because I was and I was DC because of Batman nineteen sixty six, Adam West and Burt Ward. I used to watch that show, so I was a huge Batman fan. And um, on my thirtieth birthday, I even got you know the bat nice, symbol. Nice, nice. Did you ever get shoulder. to talk to Adam? And it, it oh. no, I never did. I never did. But I know many people that know him, and they they said he was the sweetest guy in the world. But um, my friend John Long, who I grew up with, you know, there are people in your life who you have you're born with family, sure. and there are people in your life who become family. I met John when I was 14 years old and he is the reason why I got into Marvel because we were talking about comic books and I was talking, you know, Batman, Superman, right. you know, and that's all I knew was Batman, Superman. And I only knew pretty much the movies. And he said, okay, <laughs> um, I'm sick of this. There's another world out there and you need to know it. And I was like, look, man, uh, Spider-Man's great and the Hulk, but I need to, so he was like, no, I mean right. this guy. And right. he showed me a picture of Wolverine and that's when it all changed because you know sure. Wolverine and Iron Man, Doctor Strange. I mean Professor X, oh, yeah. Beast, who's one of my favorites, and so that's how I ended up learning about Marvel was because John would not let me. He felt I was I was being a noob if I only read. Yeah, one, well, that's actually a great company. way if you think about it. Like you know, because DC has this kind of the the classic elemental version of of mythology. Uh, these kind of legendary characters that really are bigger than the world they live in, and as opposed to Marvel, where the characters are much yeah. very much the universe is bigger than they are i think and also it's a great time as going into your teens it's a perfect time to find marvel it true because you're right there's a there's a um there's a mythical aspect of uh the the powers are bigger yeah. in dc whereas it's all about the person dealing with their powers in marvel it's like spider-man is spider-man but he's still a 15 year old high school kid who yeah. still has to deal with bullies so this extra power is just an extra piece of baggage. He can't like, you know, in DC, if, you, if you're if you Robin, you can fight the bully and no one seems right. to be around when you beat the bully up and no one will believe that Dick Grayson did it. Where in Marvel, everybody's right. there. You cannot web a person because everybody will see. So it, I love that difference in the, in the companies because it's all about the person, not the powers in Marvel. And in um, DC, it's all about the situation and what you're going to do in these, you know, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a sense this, you know, the, the the films now famously are are the first interconnected universe in the history of the screen. I mean, interconnected in a way that no one has done before. I mean, there have been other things like the whole. No, it's it's yeah. it's, it's brilliant. And it's people very are trying, difficult. You know, not it's like succeeding. a complex lattice work to make it all work. And I mean, you had the universal horror films. You could say that those were all in one universe, but it wasn't nearly the kind of what we're seeing with Marvel. But um, the tradition in the comics was there too, because like if you go back to the earliest issues of, you know, Spider-Man, like uh, he meets the Fantastic Four, he tries to get a job with the Fantastic Four, and like the Avengers fly by, yeah. and or the Hulk jumps through the the horizon line, just in the background, you're like, is that Daredevil? You know, like the the universe, they're all mm -hmm. bumping into each other, while in DC, like I remember. You, you could buy an issue of DC Comics from the 60s, uh, issue of Superman, issue of Aquaman that came out the same month. And then the Superman, he goes to Atlantis and visits his girlfriend, who's a mermaid named Lori Lamaris. And then Aquaman, he's the king of Atlantis, and nobody's got fishtails, and Superman's not there. And, like, two different Atlantises. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the, it's a different... Well, there's two different... You know, everything was a different... Everything. Yeah. Everybody had their own city, you know, 
you know, there's Metropolis, there's Star City, there's Central City, yeah. and there's Gotham. And everybody has their own city, and nobody bombards that city. And when they do, it's a, oh my God, it's a special moment. What I love about yeah. Marvel is everybody's in exactly. New York. Everybody's in, everybody's in New York, or they are in San Francisco right. or Los Angeles, and they are there. And bumping into them Absolutely. Is, is, is an issue. You know, if Spider if Spider-Man tries to help the Fantastic Four, things like, hey kid, Get the hell out of the way. You're in the way. Yeah, but I'm Spider-Man. Nobody cares yeah. who you are. Get out of the way. It's, it's, it's very much a... I, I think one of the things I love about Marvel, it, is it does reflect the big cities that we have where sometimes... You know, if you're in New York... That's right. You just bump into people. I think one of the things I, I learned when I got to New York, I was a young actor and I had really ha- I was auditioning. I hadn't, hadn't had a Broadway show yet. And I'm walking down the street and David Letterman walks yeah. past me with his kid. And I was like... That's David Letterman. And nobody right. tripped out. Nobody screamed right, right. and be like, oh my God, it's David Letterman. They just was like, I, yeah, Dave, Dave, well, Dave gets yeah. a sandwich every day. We just leave him alone. Whereas in LA, I saw stars right. driving their car and people would flip the hell out. Like they got their cameras out. They're tripping over bushes trying to get a picture. Totally. It's just two different places to go. So I love how Marvel reflects what it's like. In the yeah, movie. it's got that energy for sure. Although, you know, and as a, as a guy that grew yeah. up DC Comics like yourself, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to feel about this recent revelation. You know, uh, 2016 when Suicide Squad came out, it's the first time that they put Gotham on the map, uh, literally. It, and they said it's in Jersey, that Gotham is in New Jersey. It's it's within the state of New Jersey. Yeah, that is official. What? That's official now. You're kidding. Okay, you have blown my mind. That I did not know. Seriously? I'll give you a moment. I'll give you a moment. Wow. First of all, I live in West Uh, New York. You mean you live in Gotham? I I guess I do, um, which is a little weird. What's funny is I live in West New York because it's so clean. We are pretty much (laughs) New York. It's like, it's an eight-minute ferry ride over the ferry. I mean, I'm over the Hudson where I am. Um, But... What's funny is I've been downtown New York where all the comedy clubs right. are, and it says Gotham. Yeah, it's an old it nickname for, on, New York, for New York. I mean, you know, way before, before yeah. comics, and just like Metropolis was a nickname for New York or for any large, you know, uh, Metropolis. Yeah, that's that's a well, you you you. Well, think about this. There's now, a lot. Of, there's a lot to unpack there because now you. I mean, Springsteen and Bruce Wayne. You got two Bruces in the same fucking state. In, 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 two, two, two bosses. That means they should have met up. There's by a now. darkness there's on something the edge of the cave. Happened. Yeah, I mean, there's like, there's, or, or, can we put it past Bruce Springsteen to actually? I've, I've be considered that Bruce Wayne and actually be Batman. I mean, as rough as he is, I, I can see that oh, guy. No, I have to. I you know? say I have one major concern. Uh, I love the late great Clarence Clemens, but please tell me he's not going to wear that Robin suit. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, all, it all depends on how late it was. I used to see the things Clarence he wore, could. so it all depends on how late. I, I can see Clarence. That's the thing. I can see him. I can at least right. see him putting on the Nightwing outfit, without a doubt. Or like the old, like clearly. The, uh, remember when the the Batman Robin equivalent in the Bottle City of Candor is. Like... Yes, yes, I could, I could, de- I could definitely see that. Yes, I, that's something I was actually hoping that DC would do mm. is a Candor story because that's so deep. And it's, you know, with the way special effects are now, you could get away with it. And it's just a fun, you know, the fact that a piece of Krypton is, you know, miniaturized and Superman has to keep it safe. I mean, that, 
that also give that also opens the door for you know I remember the DC president said mm. our stuff is not going to be funny and I was like yeah but DC does oh, yeah. have a slice of comedy sure. there's a wink to like it sometimes for years. and yeah. you know having a yeah I mean having having a small city in your house that could be tipped over by anything crypto anybody that's that, yeah, that leads itself to some comedy <laughs> right, exactly it's like this is that's funny. this could I happen, the idea so. you know as you say about Candor I never really thought of this before but like you think about like Casablanca has it's the kept city everybody's trapped in the city trying to get papers of transit or you think like District Nine, yeah. like this enclave of an alien civilization. Like, there's some something about being bottled up that uh, could be actually pretty cool about Candor. Like, you know, people trying to get big, get out. Yeah, the funny thing is, I think that um, they kind of also have to watch it because Candor last year would have just been, oh, a great idea. Uh, with the way the climate is now, what's been happening? You do a Candor story. That's gonna like give brother people no, of course, flashbacks. Yeah. Is it, 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 like you are stuck you are stuck where you are you cannot leave there's no place to go you're looking at the outside world oh my god it's too big i mean that you know it could definitely give some people some some, some no you're right COVID-19 you're absolutely right so you know uh one of the other things I, I really like about dc comics history is you know that sort of that legendary mythological stuff that surrounds the characters with one of them is uh green lantern being based on aladdin which is kind of cool like for you that that I did not know you you got well, me on that one. It's it's I easy to miss because it's 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 just barely baked into it. Uh, but like, um, in fact, the, the character Alan Scott was the secret identity identity of Green Lantern, but it was supposed to be Alan oh, Ladd, original, yeah. uh, as in Aladdin. Uh, Aladdin. But because of the ah, okay, I can see that. Uh, you know, whose whose career was taking off right then, um, they they didn't go that way. Yeah. But I mean, other than that, it's just the Lantern in the in the in the. the uh, but it, it it is a moment of you know of him giving the ring you know to him and uh, him be, him getting these wishes and becoming it, it yeah that, now I now I definitely can see it but I I love I love Green Lantern I love Green Lantern because I love the fact that you can give the ring to somebody and they can yeah. have a great heart but the personality right. is so different. Because John Stewart and you know Kyle and the rest of them are all so different, and you know Guy, you know Guy, Guy especially. I mean, oh my God, the one person that like all my friends love the fact yeah, that exactly. Batman knocked him yeah. out. <laughs> you know, you mean, but you have all these personalities. They all have good hearts, but that's the one group of characters that it's fun to see that you can all love yeah. the right thing. But the way you approach it, yeah, is I'm, totally I, I, you're right. Different. I think that that setup of that character, you know, with the Green Lantern Corps, like the international, uh, the intergalactic sort of police, it's it's a terrific setup. It's a tough movie to pull off. Boy, after seeing um, Spider Verse, I would love to see an animated Green Lantern yeah. kind of movie. I think that might be the way to see Green Lantern realized. They did one, and I can't. Chris, somebody, the guy who did the the guy who was the um, he's the uh, he's the original um, cop in Law and Order. He oh, plays. Um, why can't it? Yeah, he, yeah. He, play, he plays. He plays Green Lantern, and it's it's really really cool. And it's it's called the Green Lantern Corps. It's a DC director cartoon. It's really well. fun. Yeah. yeah, that's right. What I think is interesting is the DC movies have a lot of suits involved, and I hope I don't. This is a good podcast. <laughs> I hope I don't jack my career up. Um, but DC has a lot of suits involved, and it's. And they seem to always kind of look at comic books, or at least they're getting better with it. They're not doing it now, but originally they were like, hey, listen, you guys make comic books. We make movies. We know what to do. So you just let us take your property and we're going to go do it. So when they took 
Green Lantern and we, me and my friends went to go see it, I was like, you could tell that it was written by someone who, or if, if it wasn't written by someone, it yeah. was overseen by someone who was on the writer's back saying, look, no, 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 we yeah. need this to make this yeah. movie. This is what we need. Whereas Marvel was written by people who really loved the characters. They loved the mythology. They also wanted to not, not you can't right. make everybody happy, but they were definitely trying to you sure. know, give a gift to the fans and say, look, we understand we can't do everything, but this is what we're going to do. Whereas DC is like they were throwing something against the wall, or not throwing it against the wall against the stick, yeah. but just doing movie things. Like, you know, the fact that you have Parallax, which is a fantastic character, and that's what you do. Right. You're like, no, that's not Parallax. We all know who Parallax is. We That's the great thing right. about Parallax. We know who he is. And to make him just giant mist yeah, missed opportunities. Like, well, you know, you know, I was actually on the set of that movie, and I could tell you that uh, the people behind it, the, there were some people that are really great integrity people from comics world, like Mark Guggenheim and, and Greg Berlanti, who uh, the two of them do so much on TV and been so successful. But I think uh, it's fair to say, you know, Martin Campbell, who directed it, who's a great director, did Casino Royale, uh, the best best James Bond yes. movie. Yes, oh think. yeah, I love that movie. Um, you know, he came into it, uh, it was a generational thing, you know, he wanted to do a Flash Gordon movie, you know, and he had people there, who uh, good people, uh, giving them a, him a lot of information, resources about the more contemporary versions of, of Green Lantern. But he had a thing in, in, in mind, and he had done the Zorro movie with Antonio Banderas and Anthony Hopkins, which had that great sort of energy, and he was trying to get back to that. Yes, you know, to to his credit, so he was trying to do a Flash Gordon that went with that Zorro. Um, and you could you could feel it. You could definitely feel it. Yeah, there was something there that could have happened, and it just yeah. it just didn't all kind of the tonalities were off. Yeah, you know, like when you start off and you got a guy, he's in bed with you know, like he's naked with a girl. So, but you put it in the trailer, like all the the ten year olds who want to. You know, be Green Lantern. They, they they don't know what to do with that for a second. Like right, that's going to throw exactly. them off. Like, and then like, oh, is that is this movie for girls? Is it for women? Is this a date movie? You know, like, is it? It's just the tonalities were were kind of jagged, going in different directions. But of course, you know, no one ever sets out to to no. do that. It's just where it gets. It was where it gets. But you're you're right. Your intuition is right. I think is that there's somebody, and I think it's Mark Campbell, director. Just had a didn't have that grounding uh, that. That applies what about this uh I, I think it'd be fun you know there's only been one dc broadway play uh you know they in 1969 bob holiday starred in look it's a bird it's yeah. a plane it's superman yeah uh later we had spider-man turn the dark out of course uh, represent marvel turn off the dark thanks but that's it really you know from the superhero world comic book world what superhero would you like to see as a broadway play i can think of like a few i think it'd be kind of fun my, my, I think what's funny is I love, I, I talk so much crap and defend <laughs> so many things. Right. Like I defend Disney constantly. I'm defending, um, you know, people turning movies into into musicals all the time. But then whenever this question comes up, I'm always like, no, leave the comics alone. And I, nice. And it's terrible because that's so that's so opposite of like everything else that right. I do. But. For me, I always feel that if you're going to, if you're going to do a comic book as a musical, yeah. because if it was a play, I would have no problem. I said it, you could, you can, 
there's there's a play. It's not a re, it's not a play play, but it's definitely theater. There is a mo, there's a uh, a tape of John Delancey and um, Leonard Nimoy doing a conversation of Spock debating Q. I'm going to dig that up instantly. I've never heard of that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's an audio book, and it's live in front of an audience, <laughs> and it is so... They did two of them. They did two of them where there was, you know, it, it's such a great thing. Like, some of the Star Trek people decided to do, like, this awesome. um, audio theater, and that is different because your performers are still acting. Sure. My only concern is there has to be a reason for these characters to sing sure in a musical you have to have so much emotion that the character can't do anything else left but either sing or break out into dance right. that's that's there's so much going on that all they can do is just let it out that sure. way so if they could figure out a way to do it now i've only seen in my in, in you know my short lifespan i've only seen a one time where it worked there was a, a justice league unlimited episode uh-huh where um, Cersei turned Wonder Woman into a pig. Uh-huh. And so Batman had to get Zatanna right. to try to help him turn, uh, you know, Wonder Woman back into How himself. How do you say Amazon backwards? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, right? You know, it's like, what are those things? Well, Cersei, Cersei's big thing was now that she's out of, you know, out of, you know, out of, you know, whatever she, the, the dark land she was sure. in she wanted to do a big show in new york or gotham <laughs> or whatever so she's doing a big show and there's always a payment if you want something there's a payment so he goes to batman goes to cersei and says what do you want and she says i want something from you that you can never get back and they have kevin conroy saying <laughs> am i blue so there was a reason for Batman to Ish. sing, and it was so great and so epic. Yeah. It's like it's I, I can't I don't know I don't know the name of the episode, but it is one of my favorite episodes. It's so you good. Me so much. I so if they could, if they could find a way to to do that, could do I'm that. pretty sure there's you could do that. I'm pretty sure that there there's also the great thing is something as smart as a spell could make it happen. Sure. You know, oh my God, why are we still singing? Make the we joke. Could that Arkham Asylum. We could do Arkham Asylum. Everybody's nuts. What's funny is Arkham Asylum could be a musical on its own. That's what I'm saying. That's the musical. So I'm okay, so there you go. If, if, we're, if we're gonna do it, it'd be Arkham Asylum, and Batman would have to be not there that much. Yeah, He'd maybe not even seen. Maybe yeah, he's only he, a shadow. He's, he's a shadow, but it's Arkham, and things are going on. In, actually, that's not a bad idea, Jeff. That's I'm not a bad idea. You. Like <laughs> that's not a bad Harley, idea. you can have Harley Quinn. You can have Poison Ivy. You can totally. have Joker, Joker, Riddler, every, Catwoman. You yeah, because everybody's you, nuts. And you've got different cameos in the background. You could even oh change them up. Okay, now see, now, now we're building something. We're working on now that. That could work. Now that could work. Because at first, I was like, I don't see a reason. But you're <laughs> right. That gives them total, that gives them total, you know, uh, carte blanche to go nuts. Because they are nuts. There's so no, there's some fun ones. What about Adam? I think the Adam would be funny. Because then you could have this giant, you, it's kind of Ant-Man. I guess Ant-Man's kind of taking that. Well, you're right. They, they could. The thing about that is, you know, it's all of, that's all about, that's all about set. And yeah. I learned from Aladdin that it's all about timing. Does your timing of what I mean by timing is they couldn't do Aladdin in the 90s because we didn't have the technology. Right. One of the things that made Aladdin work was we now have the technology to make a flying carpet. Absolutely. Disney's and, always so right there on production. Yeah, it's like uh, can, produ- can production facilitate the story that you're doing? Right. Right. So with Adam, it's like, can can we do that? And you know, how big is it, and where are we gonna go? And you know, yeah. It's but crazy. I, I, I could see it. But Arkham, that that's good. 
I think, yeah, I think, I think, you know, you could do an Aquaman one. I don't know, maybe underwater. The, the, the interesting thing with Aquaman is that it would have to be, I kind of see Aquaman, it would have to be epic. It would yeah, almost it would have, have to, to be, be like Jason Momoa. It, amazing how he's really changed that character for, I mean, which for kids was really the blonde, you know, kind of tab hunter looking dude. Well, what's funny is they, they changed him in the comic. You know, they made him tougher. They made him gruffer because he had to be because, you know, Frank Miller changed Batman and, you know, Superman right. all of a sudden got, you know, he Pretty. got more homey, but he also was, you know, it's about my mom, my dad and my wife. So yeah. Aquaman had to do something. So the fact yeah. that he's got this awesome duality and, you know, stuff, but it would have on, on stage, Aquaman would almost have to be almost, you know, opera to make it yeah. work. It's, it's almost like to be like a weird, like you said, Phantom, a weird opera rock, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, mesh to, to make yeah. it work. Yeah, I, mean, I think it'd be cool. They could even go real strange and do something like House of Mystery. Or yeah, it, like, it, would, it would have to be a title that I think, it'd have to be a title that we really don't get. Like, yeah. you know, like like a Justice League Dark or something. Like, so, yeah. so not that people don't get, but I mean, something that is, is, isn't, yes. Now, have you heard the Sandman audio? I haven't heard it yet. I I, yeah. I, I've, I fear in my heart. I love Sandman so much that I'm, I'm very protective of it. From what I I haven't heard it either. I have it on my. It's, it's like it's it's literally on my list. I'm working on a project right now, and I have it on my list. Um, but from what I've heard, people are really it, it enjoying it. So I'm I'm interested to see what they did with it. Yeah. What else do you have coming up? Anything we should know about? Anything you can talk about? Um, I can talk about the fact that um, vamp. There's a cartoon on Disney Junior called Vampirina that uh -huh. uh, all the kids seem to love. I am doing, I'm one of the voices on that. I play a talking bust who really wants to uh, be like a tour guide. Nice. <laughs> like one of the tour guides at Disneyland. Um, oh, that's awesome. I'm on an episode of um, one of my favorite children's shows when I was a kid. Not children's shows, but one of my favorite cartoons, DuckTales. Oh. DuckTales is doing uh, oh. December, not December, October 19th. They're doing an hour-long uh, Darkwing special. I can't say who I'm playing, but I get to be on it. And when I was a kid, it was the best of both worlds. It was Batman and Disney smashed. Batman, Disney, and comedy smashed together. You've got Darkwing Duck. That's and awesome. I watched Darkwing and I watched DuckTales religiously. And so to be a part of that now is just awesome that's great that's <laughs> I'm great so excited i can't wait to find out who you're playing uh and to find out if they live in newark R right right <laughs> i swear when this is over i am so gonna be like typing in gotham is in newark it's true it's true well people aren't really kind of acknowledging it but it's it's now canon yeah uh, you know they, they put it on the map because people used to think is it chicago you know because i kind of thought of gotham as chicago to me See, I thought I thought Gotham was like I thought what they had done is they had split New York into like three pieces. Yeah. They had split it the Metropolis, New York, and Gotham, and like the dark side of New York was Gotham City, and that's where Batman was, which is why it was so easy for Superman to get there on time. Oh, I always thought that like but, Metropolis and Gotham had some distance because, like, you know, I didn't think like the Joker would leave Gotham and go into Metropolis. Like, I thought that they, I always thought New York, Chicago, for some reason. It's it's interesting because the, when they I remember a, a, an old DC map and they mm -hmm. had it and they had all the cities and they were separate yeah it was like Philadelphia they were close enough for people they were close enough to people to get to you know yeah because also you know Batman has the bat plane and <laughs> of course he does all that kind of stuff of course he does of course he does yeah you gotta have that um, boy what a bunch of nonsense I love it it's fantastic I, hey listen <laughs> keeps me it keeps me going I love that stuff I love it yeah no I spent all this time thinking about. Springsteen and, and, and Bruce Wayne now, you know, like, 
it's like a ridiculous thing. It's a, it's a lot of there's just you know there there's a Gotham party where both Bruce Springsteen and Bruce Wayne were at. Yeah. Now, and does that mean there's no Newark in the DC universe? That's that's the interesting thing. But but I think one one of the great things about DC is that they have placed their created cities next to real cities. I guess. So you could definitely probably Gotham could still be next to Newark or something weird right. like that. I can yeah, see. That. Yeah. So it's must be really they must have a lot of transit issues. There's a there's <laughs> there's a lot of real estate going on in DC. Yeah, exactly. Well fantastic. And um and you said when on the DuckTales? Uh October nineteenth. That's fantastic. That's great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to well, that. Well what a treat. Um and then you know one last thing on on looking forward with the MCU. We were talking a little bit about that. It's gonna be really powerful and emotionally charged challenge to figure out what's going to happen next with black panther and and uh yeah. you know in this year full of so many uh discouraging uh things so many heartbreaking things yes uh the loss of chadwick boseman is going to be one that's going to stay with us for quite a long time but, you know just if it's what do you think about moving forward if, if not like what they should do specifically maybe what they should keep in mind um honestly I think it should story-wise it should move like it did in the cart in the, in the comic. I think Shuri, his sister, should be Black mm-hmm. Panther. Yeah. Um and I also not just for there's a moment of where, where Chadwick sits in like cinematic history now. Yeah. It would be it's not like James Bond. It's not no. like replacing, you know, Sean Connery or Daniel Craig or right. some or Timothy. And it's Dalton not like, the, like uh, Heath Ledger. Yeah, it's, Joker, it's, not, it's not even like the crow. It, yeah. Truthfully, it's 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 not like that. There was because don't get me wrong. Joker made it was a, a huge impact on on film, but the character. But what Black Panther did was Black Panther really touched the African-American community as a whole Absolutely. everywhere across and i don't i shouldn't say african-american world i should say people of color black folks across the world across the globe sure. black panther just touched everyone again for the first not for the first time but this particular character became the hero the reson it resonated and yeah it just resonated so much but the family structure that they created in that film yeah. You know, with the queen, with his sister, with, you know, uh, his bodyguard. And, right. you know, with, you know, there was such a family unit with what they did with Okoyo being the head of the guard. That's so even her fight with her own, you know, her own mate. Right. The transition in the comic was that one time T'Challa, you know, lost Black Panther and it went to Shuri. And I think they should keep that because then yeah. you wouldn't have to worry about another African-American actor or never another person of brother of color actor stepping sure. into those shoes and saying I'm T'Challa and everybody going, no, you're not, or being overly yeah. judgmental. She's right there. And in my opinion, like in my opinion means nothing, but in my opinion, it would be fun to see her character who was so carefree in right. Black Panther and in the Avengers of enjoying the fact that her brother was in charge. And yeah. all she got to do was play with Feel her nice. gadgets and create cool things. I mean, don't get me wrong. She was serious about, you know, taking care of, of Wakanda. Course. She was serious about taking care of, you know, her country. But she was that person. She was like, hey, all of the responsibility is on my brother. Right. All yeah. I have to do is supply him with really cool, st- you know, state-of-the-art stuff to be able to protect our place. If that all of a sudden was taken from her and it was like, listen, I get that, but now you have to be in charge. 
first of all, that would just be awesome to see her character go through that. Second of all, to see that kind of responsibility placed on an African, placed on the, uh, yeah, placed on a black woman in cinema. Yeah. Would be amazing. Yeah, it, and a chance it, it to would, build. Yeah, yeah, because then you have she's already she's already been put up there with like she's you know she has the technology of Tony Stark, and now yeah. uh, here she is a young black girl, a young black lady who is now in charge of this whole country after her brother right. something happens to her brother. Now not only is she in charge, but she is Black Panther. That's yeah. a story that you can yeah. get into. That's a story you can get behind. And then you know I I know Disney. I've worked with them for years, and I know Marvel. On the marketing side, come on. Halloween yeah. sells itself. There would be sure. 50,000 young girls of color who would want to be Black sure. Panther, and they would have the best technology. You know, th- that yeah. story sells itself. In, well, you know, in the junket, too. It's, yeah. it's a lot easier for her to sit there and talk about the legacy of uh, taking taking part of a, a legacy as opposed to someone new sitting up there talking about replacing the legacy. Yeah. Like she was there, she was there, and so yeah. you know the honor of taking it Changes over. Changes the whole energy. It would it would be awesome. So I'm I'm hoping, and also they're always there's always they're always trying to find ways to include people of color, include women, include LGBTQ, and without sure. it looking like hey we've made this and now we're just stuffing it in there. Right. This would be a clean transition, and it wouldn't be something you know awkward. It was just like listen. Yeah. This is little sister. Why wouldn't she take over? Yeah, it's not contrived. It it's feels not like contrived. It's right there. And yeah. the comic books did it really well. And she was an awesome Black Panther. But, you yeah. know, it's a hard mantle. In, as far as inside the mythology, it's a hard mantle to hold. Yeah. You know, you absolutely. keep forgetting that Black Panther is royalty. It's like a, a heavyweight belt. Yeah, it's a heavyweight belt. And you've got to de- not only defend it, but not defend it just in the costume, but you have to defend it when you are outside of the costume. Right. You know, she's Shiri, queen of Wakanda, if they gave it to her. Plus, she's Black Panther, the hero who has to defend things and have to right. deal with the Avengers. I mean, there's so many stories you could go to. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's what fun. I personally think should happen. And by the way, I wanted to, uh, uh, quickly, uh, I thought it was really cool that uh, I know you're a big wrestling fan and that oh, yeah. you got to uh, go back to the very beginning of the Spider-Man uh, mythology by bringing back Crusher Hogan, uh, the wrestler from Amazing Fantasy 15 and the guy yes. who, uh, like Happy Hogan over in, uh, there was two Hogan former wrestlers in the Marvel Universe before Hulk Hogan. Yeah, before Hulk Hogan. Yeah, the, oh, the Hulk's yeah. name. That's not a coincidence. <laughs> I'm sorry, that That's is crazy. not. Also, the funny thing is, for many years, WWE had to pay for, had to pay Marvel yeah. for the name Hulk, so that That's crazy. so that Terry Bolina could be Hulk Hogan because he originally came out as the Incredible Hulk Hogan, which is why most people don't even realize that's one of the reasons why he rips his shirt was because Hulk broke out of his he's clothes. Hulking out. Yeah, he's hulking huh. out. That's crazy. I wonder if Jimmy Superfly Snooker had to send a check to Curtis Mayfield every month. You, I, you know, somehow <laughs> I feel that the brothers didn't get the same respect. The green man's getting his check. Come That's on. what I'm saying. I mean, the, the green, green man's man. getting his check, but the, but the brown man's not getting something for, for Jimmy. Right. It's like the Chris Rock, I know you'll appreciate this, the Chris Rock joke about Disney princesses. He's like, a fish princess. The f- there was a fish princess before there was a black princess. Yes, thank you. <laughs> fish princess was a black princess. Yes. He's like, there's a, a Middle Eastern princess. There's, you know, he like rattles them all off and goes, a fish princess. That was one of my, I, I, the, his concerts make me happy because I'm a big stand-up comedy fan. So his concerts make me extremely happy because he's so smart with what he says. 
And what he's doing next, like who expected this saw? He's doing saw. He's doing and well. He's Fargo. Far, Fargo just came out two days ago, and he's doing saw. I was like saw. Fargo and saw, like the like it's a, like a Mad Lib. Like I like, put that together. You, Chris has been. You could tell he's been trying to transition for many years, and yeah. it just all hit at the right time. The the planets aligned, and I, I'm I'm I say more power to him because from what I've heard, my boys while watching Fargo, they're like, Are "You watched it yet?" I'm like, "No, I'm working. I I watch it this weekend. I've heard it's great." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to see it. And it's interesting seeing all the comedy people going in the horror, you know, like with uh, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg and yeah. and, and uh, Jordan Peele and uh, Danny uh, McBride. I mean, somebody- well, there's a there. I was talking to somebody about about uh, Jordan Peele, and we were la- we were saying I, I was telling them I said, you know, if you t- this is a guy who wrote cool, amazing comic sketches with Key and Peele. Yeah. I said, and if you look at the story of Get Out, sure, that is a great comedy sketch. It's an awesome comedy sketch. I mean, you think about it. You're like, a brother is dating a white girl, and he goes to the house and finds out that her his parents are actually stealing black people. You start laughing, but if you take the comedy out, sure, it becomes the scariest horror film ever. Yeah. So it's almost like Jordan writes comedy sketches and then takes the comedy out right and that's the great thing about stand-up comedy what makes it so funny is it's these real scary messed up situations that you put this comedy spin on to make people laugh at real life right like richard pryor's my one of my he's my favorite comedian and you take these terrible situations that he's yeah switched up and it's funny, but if you take yeah. the comedy you're on fire, yeah. people will get out of your way. Like people, yeah, yeah people get out of your way. <laughs> or my hard. favorite when he's, you know, <laughs> I am reaching for my wallet because I don't want to meet no accident. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You take the comedy out of that, and those are real scary situations. So I think it's, of course, these comedians can transition to horror or something yeah. scary because what they're talking about is something scary and horrifying anyway. They just put this awesome you know punchline at the end the minute you take the punchline out you got a drama that's gonna make people talk the next day yeah yeah that's right it's and i guess horror and comedy they're both they're like the both the the sudden intrusion intrusion of an unexpected truth like you know a knife coming out of the the closet or george carlin telling yeah i mean they're both the same thing like yeah and the great the shock and that's why one of the things that i think uh comedy works well with horror because there are some times that are so uncomfortable that it is funny and if you push it over the edge just a little bit like the the original nightmare before uh, nightmare 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 on elm street right wasn't meant to make you laugh right but there were some funny moments right right so by the time talking about that the other day it's a comedy yeah so by the time we got to dream street which I think is the third one. It was hysterical, and they right. just played it. They let Freddie play, because I mean, you know, we get oh what a rush. Yeah. We get you know it's back in the saddle again. Yeah. Or my favorite one is uh, Welcome to Primetime, Bitch. That all is from that one film. Those all those punchlines are from that one film of Freddie's. And it's just you for. just take take it over. Robert England just and he's improving. Take it over just a little bit. And you've got a comedy, so it's fun how horror and comedy works. Because if you take the comedy out, you get scary. You put the comedy in, and you get this this funny moment. No matter how many people are getting slain, there's a part in that film that is so messed up. It's so messed up, but it's still funny. It's the girl who's a um, 
she's she's a bodybuilder and she's yeah. gonna fight Freddie, and Freddie turns her into a roach. Yeah, she do. And her her face comes off and she becomes a roach. And he was he's like, they check in but they don't check out. It's so dissed. Oh, but I I, I can't stop watching it now. <laughs> now. Now you got me thinking of Freddie musical. <laughs> now Freddie could work. That's not Broadway. That's off Broadway. <laughs> and that. I, I always we've always said that horror horror musicals could work. <laughs> horror musicals could work because people go in knowing they're going to get the crap scared out of them. They don't know where things are coming from. It's oh, kind of like a haunted house. History of horror. Do, yeah, be, it, horror like musicals can work, and they and they have in the past. So, yeah, Freddy Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street the musical could totally work. <laughs> get on it. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I may, I may have to talk to some friends. Like, can we do this next Halloween? Can we can we pull this off? fantastic james you probably know this but something that i was i had found uh when i was doing research on you is um you talked about how wolverine was kind of like your first like introduction into like the larger universe yeah um did you know that you were born the same year that wolverine was first created that i did not know yeah. i did not know 1974. I, I, I no i had no idea i, I just love that i just love that that original picture of him you know, with the kind of like the whiskers and him fighting the Hulk, you know, yeah. they see the claws for the first time and they see him. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I love that. But uh, no, I had no idea it was 1974, but I, I do remember the impact that character seemed to make because, you know, everybody had a backstory. Spider-Man yeah. has a backstory. Cyclops had a backstory. Hulk has a backstory. Wolverine came out. Nobody knew who he was. He right. didn't know who he was. No, they have built his backstory over years. And I think that's the one of the cool, one of the laziest yet coolest writer moments ever. <laughs> they were like, we have this guy with animanium. He can't be broken. He's really tiny, really angry. He could beat up anybody. What happened to him? We don't know. And neither does he. That's that's the secret. mystery. That's the, that's the sexiness about him. Nobody knows who he is. And that's, that's one of the cool things about that character. Also, there was that like you telling me about uh, Gotham being New Jersey. I remember where I was. I was in the car with my homeboy, and when we found out that Weapon X actually meant Weapon Ten, and comic yeah. books people went, "Holy crap!" That like their whole world was destroyed. So then they had like everybody went back into their comics to try to find out who's Weapon One, Two, Three, Four, Five. You know, just everybody's like trying to find out what number is who. And, oh. And it was such nice. a great moment because actually it was some bullshit. That's what I love about comedy. If you if you come up with something quick and you write it down, man, it'll work. It's like we've yeah. been Weapon X for twenty years, and all of a sudden now it's ten. We're like, okay, great. Yeah, let somebody else figure it out. <laughs> right, let somebody else figure out what what X means. That's great. And V for Vendetta, the V was a five. So I, I wonder the yeah. Roman numerals. The Roman numerals, they they're sneaky. That that movie. My wife, she's a lovely, lovely woman, but she's she doesn't like romantic comedies, hates them. She's always like, please, somebody get shot, blow up, whatever. She saw <laughs> Beef of Vendetta. That's one of her favorite films, Beef of Vendetta. It's so weird because the one romantic comedy she does like is uh, Princess Bride. That's her favorite film. But it's like oh, yeah. Princess Bride and Beef of Vendetta. It's like, those are the, that's my wife right there. <laughs> that's pretty great. That's exciting. That's very exciting. Like those are perfect movies too. Yeah, and it's subversive. It's a subversive romantic comedy for sure. Definitely. Before James leaves, sure. If time, James. So yeah, Jeff every week does this thing called the Essential Shelf, which is very cool, and it's his pick of like people who are new to comics, like me. You know, like what are some of like the most essential comic book volumes that you would like recommend? And every week Jeff picks one, and then I read it, and then we talk about it. But I thought it'd be cool maybe this week, since you're such a fan of comics, for you and Jeff to maybe think of one together 
that you guys might think. Sure. Since you're such a Marvel fan, we don't have a Marvel one on the list yet. And so I thought it'd be cool. I was gonna give you two. Um, I was gonna give you, uh, for DC, uh -huh. I was gonna do Kingdom Come. Oh, it's a great one. Kingdom Come is an amazing, amazing comic and Alex Ross's art is just breathtaking. Yeah, and, and the story uh, and, and with Captain Marvel too, especially Captain Marvel. Yeah. Yes, you know, just what he has to go through and what Superman has to go through and the, you know, the the whole, the DC Trinity, what happens to them from beginning to end of that book is awesome. And for the Marvel fans, um, there are there's so there's so many, but I w I was gonna say, there that the big transition in uh, for uh, uh, Secret Invasion, Secret oh, Invasion sure. is, it just ripped the heart out of so many fans, um, because the scrolls come and take over and you don't know who you so you've been reading your heroes for years and find out that maybe all the for the past 10 years the people you've been reading are not the people you know right and i'm hoping praying to god that that's what kevin feige wants to do yeah. <laughs> i'm like especially with what happened with the last spider-man film like please please let secret invasion be your story sure because there's a there's a moment um i don't i guess i don't want to give you spoilers away but there's a moment there's a big if we're, yeah there's a big moment with cap and yeah. captain america is you know right. the two sides of marvel there's there's the their their trinity of you know spider-man cap iron man uh what happens with cap is so great so i would say for dc kingdom come and for um for marvel uh secret invasion and i think i believe i may be wrong but i think one of the covers of secret invasion is also an alex right or alex ross cover oh yeah yes yeah. Also, just stupidly beautiful. Yeah, he's got an amazing style, the photorealistic and the beautiful lush yeah. painting style. Uh, Secret Invasion too uh, taps into sort of the classic invasion of the body snatchers. Yes, energy to sort of like uh, the creeping, insidious threat that you'll never see coming. And and we have seen hints of that in the MCU with with the the way that we saw Nick Fury's you know sort of embodiment in the in the recent film. So it, it could well be that it was one of those big event things, and and that one it held together more than most of those did you know like Atlantis yeah. attacks or something like that right doesn't really kind of move the dial the way that well one that did. one did so because it, it literally hit like you made all of your favorite marvel characters question everything right and you, you when you have someone as paranoid as logan looking around wondering he can snit he can smell people who aren't the, the right person right right so here he is surrounded by all these people and find out that some of the people he's been talking to may not be, and he couldn't figure it out. Yeah, you know, he just went to swinging. Yeah, <laughs> just, just, went, just like trying to kill everybody till I find out who it is. Yeah. So it's it's such a it's a really really good story. It's really fun, and also it just changed the MCU and changed how you felt about how powerful your your heroes were and yeah. how vulnerable your heroes were. With Kingdom Come again, same thing. Yeah. Like we talked we talked about this where the Marvel moment is the reality of oh my god I don't know who's near me. Right. Whereas with Kingdom Come, it's such a big thing. It was the new coming in to replace the old, yeah. and do those old do those old values make a difference anymore? Yeah, the old yeah. values of Superman, you know, red, white, and blue, you know, the you know the American way, and trying to be good, and then people coming in and just like, no, 
there is no jails. We're just going to start killing people because that's what you do to villains. And it's this big thing. And right. the three, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, have to go, where Where do we stand on this? Are we? Do we even still want to be involved in this? Yeah. It's such, it's, it's so, it, those two stories really show the difference between Marvel and DC. It's just yeah, you know, so big and then so personal. So yeah. it's, I, I love, those are the two books I would, as I do that, those are the two books I would recommend. Yeah, they're, they're great picks. We'll take both of them and we'll put those on our essential shelf because they're perfect picks. And yeah, in, in that one, it's like seeing Gary Cooper meet like uh, Mad Max. You know, like the it's like yes. this generational schism uh, between like their their ethics and their worldview and stuff. It's really, really well done. Um, so it's a terrific pick. And uh, thank you again. Thanks, Jeff. I've had, I had a ball, guys. Please invite me back. All right. Too. We will for sure invite you again. Thanks so much, James. No problem. Have cool. a good day, guys. Cheers. Well, it was very entertaining talking to James this week. He, you know, he was a very vocal and very fun guest. It's not very often you get somebody who's gotten to write comics, but is also just such a fan of the comics as well. Yeah, I think, and I think he had fun too. I think, uh, yeah, that was a good conversation and a lot of a lot of nerdery. Yeah, it was like it was like a a volley of you and him <laughs> just trying to blow each other's minds with comic book trivia that you may not have known already. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny is I actually held back. I was trying to, I, I, I didn't want to. There was a few things I thought of that I just, it's like, oh, just calm down, stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, so, it's, I think it's fun to get to see you, you know, get to talk to somebody kind of on the same level as you and, just, you know, kind of talk back and forth about this. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, and the, the differences between people too is, is, is always interesting. Like um, I, I've noticed how many, what a, a large overlap there is on the Venn diagram of nerdery between Marvel, DC comics, primarily mainstream comics and uh, wrestling you know the, the and and it, that's probably not that surprising when you start thinking about the dynamics of both you know wrestling with its uh vivid costumes and vivid backstories and uh sort of simplified mor- moral universes and uh plot twists and also the fact that nobody ever really gets hurt you know and <laughs> everybody always comes back and everybody uh never seems to change that much but they uh there's a lot of uh, similarities and he was obviously a big wrestling guy. Oh, definitely. And that makes me think of two things that you've told me in the past. One being how Stan Lee almost treated his Marvel comics. Like he was the, a wrestling announcer, you know, like he really like hyped him up in that kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He sure did. Uh, and the second being how, you know, Superman originally was dressed like a, a muscle man in a carnival, which is, yeah, you know, his costume. Yeah, it's kind of wrestling esque, you know those the, the tights, yeah. the strong man. Yeah, for sure, for sure. This the, the strong man costume, uh, the guy with the the barbells, you know, uh, uh, that you would see at old time circuses and uh, carnivals and such, definitely influenced uh, wrestling and and clearly influenced Superman. So yeah, wearing your underwear on the outside of your clothes is <laughs> is basically is the is the shared the the genealogy of uh, of our entertainment. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, James was just a great guest and I'm sure we'd love to have him back. He's going to be in a DuckTales episode, but he can't tell us who he is. He's going to be in Vampirina. You know, he does a lot of stuff with Disney and he's on the Marvel, This Week in Marvel podcast. But what a great guest. Yeah, he's got it going on. He's got a lot of fun stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I have uh, some thoughts that we should, we should try to do some show sometime where we have some of the guests like Mark Guggenheim and, and, and James or, who are really kind of nerdery experts, apex nerds, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I use the term affectionately and have a group of us maybe 
chew on some philosophical debate or something like that. I would absolutely love that. We all, well, as the producer, I guess I'll, I'll be the one to set that up. <laughs> yeah. I think there's going to be, there could be something to it. It's, it's very, it's, I'll tell you, it's entertaining for me uh, <laughs> and hopefully entertaining for other people as well. I'm sure it would be. Um, that being said, you know, we'll move over to recommendations. Uh, yeah. We do something different this week. Yes. So for it's, you know, Halloween month, it's one of my favorite holidays of the year. I just kind of love how everybody gets creative in their own way. Yeah. Um, and that's something I've always thought about, you know, Christmas, most people or the Christmas season, you know, it's not everybody can celebrate it. And then everybody mm -hmm. kind of decorates the same, you know, it's a lot of red and green and white, obviously. But for Halloween, you know, everybody kind of has their own, uh, has their own idea of what Halloween is. And so it's kind of really cool to see how everybody decorates and, you know, uh, experiences fall in the Halloween season. Um, that being said, I wanted to recommend to you, Jeff, maybe a movie that you haven't seen before um, of the scary movie zone. Excellent. Um, which is Blackbeard's Ghost. It was a Disney movie from, I believe, the 1960s. Have you seen mm -hmm. it? I, it's so funny you bring this up. Um, have I seen it? No, but I almost saw it. I, I, I remember it was when I was a kid, I would go to, um, during summer, uh, I would go to like summer recreation camp. It was like a local thing that basically that you could throw your kids in when they weren't in school. Uh, and we would just do different activities and stuff. And we had a movie series and that was one of the movies, but I had to leave. Oh man. <laughs> uh, so I saw maybe f like maybe f two minutes of it. And that was, uh, you know, like 40 years ago, <laughs> 40 <laughs> years ago, I saw the first two minutes. So I know those and I'm ready to pick up right from there. Yeah. So Blackbeard's ghost was, you know, kind of in the same generation as a lot of Dean Jones and Suzanne Plachette Disney movies. Mm -hmm. um including you know the shaggy da he also did sure. ugly shaggy dachshund okay i'm um, trying to think of the other ones that they did but anyways blackbeard's ghost very goofy peter ustinov plays blackbeard which is very okay. interesting and he just yeah. goes all out for it yeah that's <laughs> great yeah he's a good actor uh and long long career so uh, you know that's a great recommendation i appreciate that i will check that out and i i have one i have a a uh, reciprocal recommendation for you uh, in the, the scary mode or uh, chills and thrills. Mine's a little darker. Uh, have you seen Kronos? I have not seen Kronos. I've heard the name, but that's about it. Yeah, so that, I, I highly recommend it. It's uh, Guillermo del Toro um, doing what he does best, which is creating a, uh, a movie that where the, the, the fantasy world is lying right beneath the world that we live in but it's restless and it's, it offers uh, both great uh, uh, treasures and horrible consequences for those treasures. Uh, and I won't say more than that. All the, it, it's got, a lot of his movies have little devices. He loves devices that move and have interesting uh, physics, the way they move, you know, supernatural things. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, a, there's an item in this movie and it has secrets and it, it, it will help you potentially live forever, but Oh, at what a cost. Oh, interesting. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. That, that has very strong Guillermo themes to it already. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. You know, and, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's in Spanish with subtitles and, uh, it's, it will connect audiences back to this. You, you'll see a lot of things in it that you recognize from Guillermo's body of work, you know, things that will remind you of, either Hellboy or Pan's Labyrinth or Crimson Peak, you know, or any of, any of his great films. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it comes earlier in his career and, and it has a different energy and it's a well-kept secret. Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah. You know, Pan's Labyrinth is one of those movies I didn't see until I was a, until I was an adult and I was kind of happy that I had only seen it once I was an adult because I knew if I had seen that as a kid, I probably would have had nightmares for weeks. So, but yeah, Kronos, that's a really good, that's a really good recommendation. I'll definitely check that out. That sounds good. Yeah, you know, with Pan's Labyrinth, the thing that sticks in my mind most um, with that film is one sound. Interesting. One of the most horrible sounds I ever heard. <laughs> you know, that sometimes it's not what you see in the movie, but what you hear. And uh, I mentioned this to Guillermo, and he, he was very proud. But there's a scene <laughs> in this fil that film, and it, it just doesn't ruin anything for anybody, although it may, may make some people not want to see it, I guess. But um, a, a person is killed with a, the, the, uh, the butt of a gun um and smashes into their face and the sound that it makes Ooh. is the most grotesque uh unnerving uh sound i've ever heard in a film wow so yeah. good luck with that <laughs> I was Sorry, folks. Say, the interesting thing about pan's labyrinth is it's just as horrifying outside of the realm as it is in the realm that he creates and I'm, obviously that's the direction he's going with it but you know it's very cool to see that yeah, I love the, how it's not binary in its presentation of supernatural things. Like, yeah, everything's not good or bad. It's everything is complicated, and uh, you know, magic. Uh, if you think you've got a handle on magic, a lot of movies now or TV shows, you'll see people who they use magic like it's it's a, a, just a hammer or a screwdriver. It's a tool that they use, and they they know what's going to happen when they use it. Um, but I like the magic where it's it's inviting chaos and you have no idea what's going to happen. And if you think you know what's going to happen with the magic, uh, that means you're about to have some terrible consequences because that you're, you're, uh, you're being arrogant in the face of the unknown and, and, you know, larger than life things. So, and Guillermo was very in touch with that, yes. that idea of magic, you know? Yes, definitely. And we did something a little different this time with the essential shelf. Um, yeah. We kind of had let James, bring his input to it. And so he gave us two great books, the first being Secret Invasion by Marvel, and the second being Kingdom Come by DC. Yeah, two, two great additions to the shelf. And I kind of like the idea of having the guests participate, although it's a little scary. That means we can only have people that have good taste. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I never recommend anything. That's, oh, come on. That's not true. What about Blackbeard's Ghost? Come oh, on. that's true. Yeah, that's true. You know, we'll see Yeesh. what people say next week about that. Yeah, we'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's fun. Uh, I was glad that you came up with the idea and uh, it was fun discussing it with him and uh, think that uh, it's nice to get uh, a Marvel book on the shelf finally as well. Definitely. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, he, he brought this up. It could be incorporated, you know, in what Kevin Feige is doing with Marvel next, um, yeah. the, the, being the scrolls, you know, they kind of introduced them in Captain Marvel and you saw a little bit of them, I think at the end of Infinity War or Endgame, I guess. Um, but yeah, what a very interesting race, you know, it's, it's very, uh, it's, uh, almost like spy espionage esque. you know, you don't, you don't know who literally who you can trust and who you can't. Yeah. It might be a, a monster from space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your best friend may be a shapeshifter who is really green and has terrible designs on the future. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, it kind of reminds me of the thing by John Carpenter where the whole time everybody has no idea who has already been. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that you're, you, you hit it. Uh, you hit the nail on the head that, I mean, that one and, and going back to things like invasion of the body snatchers in the fifties and, and, mm -hmm. and the seventies, the remake, which is great. 
and you know we've seen shapeshifters and in, in x-men movies and uh the, the idea of not knowing who you're dealing with is very unsettling and it also gives them a lot more opportunities to work with different people um, yeah you know and, and and it allows for some fun cameos you know marvel's already done that you know we saw captain america pop up in a uh, thor movie um dark world but it was really loki you know um oh, shape-shifting yeah. as captain america um and creating a wonderful trivia question for how many movies has chris evans been in because <laughs> people will often forget that that thor dark world oh that's a good point that's a very good point thank, and you, then, thank you very much she's in spider-man too remember he does a public service announcement in uh oh that's right in the first one home, he's home like a, yeah the detention he's like so you you're in detention so you made a mistake. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, great. Which yeah. is lovely. Yeah. So, but uh, the shapeshifters, you know, uh, opens up the opportunity for Kevin Feige to do that kind of stuff. He and uh, his wonderful uh, legion of super collaborators. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then uh, Kingdom Come, I, I have to say, I really don't know anything about it. You guys kind of went off on it, but that's something I don't think I've ever heard of before, but I'm very interested to dive into. Yeah. You know, it, it has uh, an interesting, um, legacy uh where it pops up in a lot of different things uh, an unexpected one is the new wonder woman movie in 1984 wonder woman 1984 has got uh she wears uh, the gold shiny kind of eagle imagery costume i don't know if you've seen that but, oh yeah uh, yeah definitely yeah and that was introduced in in um i believe if, if i'm if i remember right that that was introduced in kingdom come that that's how she uh appears and can come where the heroes are older and they've uh you know it's kind of like dark knight returns in that uh the frank miller book that we did uh it's kind of uh um uh, revisiting these heroes at the uh, later in life where the consequences of their actions and their their failures and and their motivations and such are given uh the harsh scrutiny of passage of time and, and you know it reminds me of the bruce springsteen line which is is a dream a lie if it don't come true or is it something worse? That could be the subtitle of Kingdom Come. Wow, interesting. And you know, just as you had told James, Springsteen is in Gotham, so. Yes, that's right. Springsteen is, uh, Gotham is in Jersey and Springsteen is in Gotham. <laughs> and so, yeah, so definitely we will have our listeners check out those two books, Kingdom Come and Secret Invasion. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely go check out Kronos and Blackbeard's Ghost for the start of your spooky month. And uh, go check out James and all the crazy stuff he's up to. Unless there's anything else, uh, Jeff, uh, but that's the end of the show. I think that was a great one, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing it again. Yeah, maybe same time right. next week. All right, talk to you soon. All right, bye.